Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is January the 20th, 2015. It's a Tuesday, and I've got an interview for you that I actually conducted last week with a young man named Nick Hazelton who's into yaks, pig farming, and anarchism. This is going to be fun. When I say young, this kid is uh, 16, and he doesn't think or talk like what you would think of as the typical 16-year-old. But frankly, I think he is the typical 16-year-old if we would just treat 16-year-olds like what they are, young men. I will have him on in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, jmbullion.com. Hey, do you know what the plan for the United States dollar is? It's for it to be worth less the end of this year than it is right now. That's the plan. You know what the plan is for it over the next five years? For it to be worth less every year for the next five years. Ten years, same deal. 97 to 98% of the dollar's value has been lost, depending on how you measure it, between 1913 and today, a little over 100 years. Do you know why? Well, that's the plan. If you were to talk to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors and ask them what the plan is, they're going to tell you, that's the plan, we're very good at it, we understand why we're doing it, this is our plan. Okay, then I think it makes sense for us to put at least some of our money into assets that are proven to hold their value over time while the dollar deteriorates. One of the things I think is best to do that with is silver and gold. I'm not an all-in kind of guy. My recommendations have remained constant over seven years of doing this show, and they are five to ten percent of your net wealth in silver and gold backed silver and gold or silver and gold backed assets, and I like to keep the majority of that in physical metal that I can put my hands on. The way I do that now is I go to jmbullion.com, and I think you should too. Why? Because I can talk to the president if I need to solve a problem, and because when I tell him there's a problem, what he says is thank you for pointing it out so we can fix it. And he's got better pricing than Monix and Atmex. And he gives discounts to members of the support brigade here. And he's been a loyal sponsor now for two and a half, three years going on uh, at this point. So those are all great reasons to buy from JM Bullion. Give them a try. I think you'll understand. By the way, minimum order is 100 bucks, but all orders have, guess what? Dun, dun, dun. Free shipping. Uh, check that out over at jmbullion.com. Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Come on down. What are you going to get from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason? Of course, you're going to get water filtration systems made by Berkey. Uh, to me, Berkey is one of the best-looking, most robust Uh, and lowest cost per gallon produced systems you can get your hands on. Uh, it can't fail because it's designed with no moving parts whatsoever. It's a gravity-fed system. It looks really cool, and it works great. And while there's a significant investment initially, the long-term cost of owning and operating a Berkey is ridiculously low, uh, so much lower than things like Brita filters and stuff like that. It's not even worth comparing them to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got something that works better. Check him out today. Uh, his website is directive21.com, and he doesn't just have Berkey's. He has a lot of other really great stuff. By the way, if you're a Berkey user or soon-to-be Berkey user and you are going to order a system or new filters, and if you've already had one, you know that it's a little bit of a pain to prime your filters with the washer thing they give you, and you shove it up on the faucet and turn it on. You don't have to do it once, but, eh, there's a little thing called the Black Berkey Primer. It's a little bulb and a little little thing that screws on the filters, it works great. 
It works great. I run six filters in my system so I can produce a lot of water fast. And, uh, man, it made priming them so much easier. I highly recommend you pick that up, too. Uh, with that... I want to remind you guys about the Member Support Brigade. You want discounts from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason? You want discounts from J.M. Bullion? You want discounts from most of our sponsors? You want discounts from a total of about 60 supporting vendors? You want free content you can't get anywhere else? You want to help support the show? Think it's worth 20 cents an episode? Hey, join the Member Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members, and sign up. You can sign up for as little as 5 bucks a month if you want to do it monthly. You can do it for $50 a year. If you're a military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters, anything like that. Email me before, not after you join. Put service discount TSPC in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I will get you that discount code back. And let us now look at the year that was the episode. It is 1503. We have the Italian Wars, the Spaniards strike back. The Treaty of Everlasting Peace between England and Scotland. I won't read that one to you, but the Treaty of Everlasting Peace lasted, well, ten years. And then we have Christopher Columbus discovers the Cayman Islands. I'm going to uh, read that one for you today. On his fourth and final voyage, Christopher Columbus has landed in Panama. He has heard of a river that goes straight through it to another ocean, And there is gold to be found. After exploring the river for a few months and losing one of his ships, he heads back to Hispaniola. Along the way, he spots the Cayman Islands, which he calls the Turtle Islands, for all the sea turtles there. The word Cayman means crocodile, which is not much better. A storm comes up, and they are beached on the shores of Jamaica. Columbus will send a canoe to Hispaniola for help, but the governor would rather that Columbus drop dead Abandoned on Jamaica, it will be a year before Columbus can make repairs and push on. My take by Alex Shrugged. Uh, Columbus is an unloved fellow if the local governor is actively trying to mess him up. Back home, folks are loving Americo Vespucci's reports on the New World. They're getting wide distribution. By the time Columbus gets back, he'll be the GOAT. Frankly, that's the very least Columbus deserves. He's been a terrible administrator and caused needless deaths through his incompetence. But giving him his due, he turned a great idea into reality. It wasn't exactly what he had in mind, but he is remembered for this accomplishment, and the bad stuff is largely ignored and forgotten. I have two takes on this, uh, one on the event itself, uh, the whole Columbus thing, and the other on a word that Alex used there, he'll be the goat. I wonder if he means it in the way that I'm going to describe it. We'll find out in a second. First of all, I just want to point out that, you know, People have to make a big deal about it. Like, Columbus didn't discover the new world. There were people here. We've been through that. Discovery at the time didn't mean, like, literally was the first person there, but found that it was possible or realized what something was. And in some ways, he didn't discover the new world because he was pretty convinced he had found what he was looking for, which was the uh, path to Asia and India, which he did not find. Amerigo Vespucci is a feller that kind of discovered there's, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that we should be paying attention to. But what, what, what this really is to me, what we can say about Columbus is he did captain the first voyage here uh, in in the modern world, so to speak, and for the purposes that that would be exploited, and really that 1492 is a turning point. It's a turning point when men from Europe began to come to this place and the whole world changed. It really is a monumental moment in history. Uh, and not all of it for the good. 
It's some for the good, some for the bad, some for the very bad, some for the very good. It's it's it really is though the point at which things clicked, and and a whole a whole epoch of time sort of shifted into a new a new reality. And we should take a moment and think about that once in a while. That there are these key moments where the world does change. Without thinking about them, you may not recognize the fact that at some point in time you may be living in one. Uh, the next thing, the goat. Here is where I shall impress you with the useless trivia in the mind of Jack Spierko. Someday I should get on Jeopardy. I might be able to make some money there. The goat is not, I don't know what he means by it here, but the goat in modern terminology in the military at West Point, where cadets go to become officers in the United States Army, is the guy that graduates in his class last. The last So the la lowest class rank that actually graduates from West Point. And you would think that would be something you wouldn't want to be. Well, you may not really want to be that, but it actually pays. Every member of the graduating class of a West Point class gives a dollar to the GOAT. And the GOAT gets a dollar from everybody. There's about a thousand cadets that graduate in a, a class from West Point. So he gets about a grand in his pocket the day that they all graduate. You might wonder why they would do that. They would do that because it actually is basically an encouragement that if you're at the last in a class at something like West Point that's as hard and rigorous and tough as it is, hanging in there and making it to the end and graduating, that actually shows a lot of tenacity and toughness. So that's the GOAT. And, and the United States uh, Military Academy's feeling is if you graduate at West Point, you've graduated at West Point. It's a very elite, high-level thing, and it makes you among the best officers we have. The order in which you graduated doesn't change that. And it goes back through history. Uh, there's some notable goats. The one that I think would be the most notable doesn't have a very good end and, frankly, wasn't that great of an officer. General, then colonel, and then after that, actually, well, lieutenant colonel. Um, uh, Custer was considered the boy general. Uh, he was promoted during the war between the states uh, as a battlefield commission to a brevet major general, which is two-star general. But after the war ended, uh, obviously the need for a military force went down, but um, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay. So he was back, basically knocked down to lieutenant colonel and was working to rise back up to the rank of full colonel when, of course, he ended his existence and the existence of his entire command at the Little Bighorn. But General Custer, then Lieutenant Colonel Custer, was a goat. Now you know. Now you have useless information in your mind, too. But interesting information, I think. Anyway, with that, uh, it is also a Tuesday, so that means it is time for the Bob Wells Plant of the Week. More information. This is probably more useful information than knowing that uh, General Custer was a goat and what the goat means, uh, because we learn about an interesting plant that we can grow. Now, not everybody can grow the one today, at least outdoors, without special means and protections. If you're in zone uh, 7 to 9, you can grow the LSU Purple Fig. It's a reliable, prolific producer of early and late delicious uh, figs. One of the best figs to come along in some time, very acclimated to the fluctuating weather of the south. It's LSU and Louisiana State University. It's very sweet, doesn't require a pollinator, 
and it's best to pick a few days after the fruit turns purple. You can find this plant more at bombwellsnursery.com. Um, I wanted to say a little bit about figs for folks. A lot of people in the north don't think you can grow figs. There's a dude in Allentown, Pennsylvania with like 400 varieties of figs in one backyard. There's some extra steps that need to be taken to keep figs alive, and LSU Purple probably wouldn't be the best northern adapted fig. Something more like a Chicago Hardy or something like that might be better for you to start out with. But figs have a very long history in America. Uh, I want you to think back to like colonial, post-colonial times, you know, the country being settled going west, etc. Homesteaders having to make do with what they had. You know what you didn't just run to the neighbors and borrow? A cup of white sugar. Sugar was a very expensive crop. Very, I mean, we just look at sugar and go, and you, you know, you might think, well, it's probably better that you don't eat too much sugar, but there's things that just aren't quite right without sugar, cakes and things like that. So, homesteaders in America had to come up with their own ways to make sugar, or at least to provide sweetness. And the three primary ways that people did this for themselves in America was sorghum cane, honey, and figs. Now, a sorghum cane made into sorghum syrup is a pretty involved thing, and it ties up quite a bit of cropland, by the way, that you're growing cash crops on, and there's not that much value in sorghum grain, especially at the time. So it was done in places where it was easy to do. There were pretty big settlements already where people could get together and share resources like presses and boiling off, etc., and it was very popular for that honey All you need is bees. They can go anywhere, but it involves a little bit of specialized knowledge. Anybody can plant figs. And a few fig trees produce a lot of figs once they're mature. And chopped up, they can be used as a sugar substitute in baking and many other recipes. And that's why they were grown with such wide abundance in America at one time, why they're not here anymore. And anywhere near the abundance, because now we can go down to the store and buy a 10-pound bag of Dixie Crystals for about eight bucks. Anyway, now you know something else I think is pretty cool, and it's time to learn even more as we bring a young man on again. This is Nathan Hazelton. He's 16 years old. He's a small-time yak and hog farmer. He's also a philosophy enthusiast. He has his own podcast. Occasionally makes his appearances on terrestrial radio, in other words, regular radio. He's a sophomore at a charter school in Western Oregon. He joins us today to discuss why young people should get involved with entrepreneurial adventures and learn on their own outside of school, about self-education, self-employment, and youth. We also discuss the philosophy of anarchism, along with how most people largely misunderstand it. And with that, hey, Nick, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great. Hey, man, uh, you're one of the younger guests. I don't know if you're the youngest guest we've ever had on, but you're 16, uh, at least when you filled out the, the sheet. I don't know if maybe you had a birthday since then, but uh young guy and you got a lot going on. Uh, I usually ask people to tell people how they got into, you know, where they're at in life now, and, and, and usually a lot of folks had kind of a crooked path getting there. Your path's a little shorter, but you mind telling people how you just, how you got into, you know, farming yaks and pigs in the first place why did you decide to do that uh, yeah so uh, yeah i'm still 16 um i've always been interested in uh trying to be independent i guess um I, i'm just that that's just how i was built i guess it's kind of runs in my family i think too but um when i was 15 i started really getting sick of school um <laughs> and i decided that i didn't want to do anything that 
involve me going to school for a longer amount of time. I've always wanted to be a lawyer, and I figured, well, that's pretty hard. There's so many lawyers anyway, and then I had to go to school for so long to become one. Um, so I decided I needed to do something else. Uh, and I've always done 4-H. Uh, my family's, uh, we we have a quite a bit of land. Uh, my neighbors are our family as well. They raise cattle. So I've kind of grown up around uh, farming happening around me. Uh, my family used to do a little bit of veg- vegetable farming when I was younger. We stopped because my parents are too busy. But it's always been kind of there. But I never really thought this is something I could do. Um, and I finally figured out, well, yeah, I can do this. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and do organic sustainable farming because I just thought that was kind of cool. I didn't know exactly what I was going to raise. Um, somehow, I have no idea how I found yaks. But I decided, well, yaks are cool. They're like a smaller cattle. They, they're exotic. They're unique. That's a good pull, right? That's a good niche market that I could definitely get into. So I decided that I was going to do that. And uh, about a couple months later, I went over out east. In, in each, I went out in eastern Oregon. I found uh, this big ranch who has something like 100 headed yaks and so i i just bought some i was like okay I, i'm started now I, I i gotta do it and so i just went with it from there and now i'm not how, where i'm at that that's cool that's one of the great things about being younger you don't let a bunch of things like well how's this gonna work get in the way of getting it done yeah it's like well i'm gonna do this now so i need some yaks so i'm gonna go get some yaks <laughs> and there's a lot of adults that can learn something from that so you're you're kind of a farmer now maybe maybe rancher might even be a little bit better of a term for it in some ways um what do you do daily? I mean, what's your daily activity level uh, as as a farmer rancher with uh, these these yaks? Um, well, I'm I'm in school still, so m- most days on the weekdays I'm uh, I'm going to school. I don't have time to go out and see what they're doing in the morning. I just get on the bus and I'm at school. But when I get back home, uh, I try to spend um, until uh, the daylight's gone outside. I don't do that great of a job with it but i make sure that they have hay right now in the winter and uh when it freezes i ha- i do have to get up in the morning and make sure that their water is uh they're able to drink right and the same thing with the pigs but um yaks are super low maintenance they're pretty hardy and they love the cold weather and all i have for them is a, a pole barn it's and that's their shelter. They get away from the rain if they need to. Uh, but other than that, um, I do try and at least once a week try and work with them, trying to get them a little bit friendlier because they're not friendly at all. They're pretty. They're pretty scared of me. But I'm working on them. They're getting there. Gotcha, man. So they're 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 not quite cows then. So what is a yak? I mean. I know, but I bet there's a lot of people out there going, it's a yak. It sounds like something from a biblical story or something like that. I, you know, you don't generally drive down the road and go, Hey kids, look at all the yaks in the field. <laughs> yeah. So yaks are a, basically they're a hairy, smaller cattle. Um, they're a type of bovine. Uh, there's like three classifications of bovine that I know of. There's, um, the Taurus cattle, which is from Europe. There's zebus, which are, I think from India or maybe Africa. 
and then there's the um grunions uh which are yaks and they're native to the himalayans um tibetans and mongolians are famous from for using them they're uh so yeah they're just basically hairier smaller cattle with horns okay and they're pretty neat animals you can get the hair fiber from them they've got a nice uh, woolly undercoat and it's supposed to be really nice it sells for almost four times what uh sheep wool does because it's i don't know exactly what's better about it but it's supposed to be softer and nicer for uh fiber stuff i don't really know I'm not sure what makes the wool nicer, but I can tell you what makes the animal nicer. It doesn't try to kill itself every 15 minutes like a sheep does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So you said they're like kind of afraid of you and they're not the friendliest creatures. Is that inherently yak or is that maybe because you got your stock from like a large head a herd that wasn't really spending a lot of time with people if they start – uh, dropping calves and they're spent more time with if mom doesn't try to kill you or whatever. Uh, can they be as tame as any, any, uh, any cow or are they more like a, a bison where they can be a lot tamer than maybe they are, but they're still always going to have some of that wild shriek in them? I think it's because I got them from a larger head. Um, people that I know, um, actually have very, very friendly yaks and they can be extremely tame and great pets. Uh, the only thing you gotta worry about is like with cattle, um, the bulls, if you spend too much time with them, if you take them away from a herd, uh, they start to think that you're part of the herd and that you're competition. So you do have to manage that. And with cows, it's like, uh, uh, I think a two weeks where you don't mess with them at all when they have a calf. Mm-hmm. And I learned that the hard way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she did not catch me, but she came after me a couple times. <laughs> They'll do it. Uh huh. They'll do it because you know, they know that's when their their calf is at its weakest and it needs the protection. Yeah. So, what's your plan for these things? So you got these yaks, and uh, apparently they're making more yaks, and uh, pretty soon you might have a whole bunch of yaks. And, and what are you going to do with them all? Uh, my plan is, of course, meat. Um, I, I, that's the main thing that I can get from them. But I'd also like to do a little bit of the fiber. Um, that takes a bit more time than getting meat from them because you have to groom them and stuff. But um, that would be something I'd like to do. But the, the big thing that I want to do is get a dairy started off of them, have the first yak dairy in North America, which would be – pretty awesome yeah I, I don't know anything about their their milk like you know is it richer or is it similar to cow milk i mean what what what's unique about it yeah it's supposed to be fattier um okay. they're supposed to have yeah seven percent to eleven percent of butter fat so that's great for cheeses and yogurts uh, i'm hoping that that's something i can do the only problem with milking yaks is they have very small udders and very small teeth. Mm. <laughs> so it's hard to to do it. And then, of course, um, there's competition from subsidized dairies. Sure. Which that nobody else does this. Nobody in the States commercially milks their yaks. So I would be the first person to do it. People have discouraged me from doing it. But, you know, I'm young. I got to try it. Sure. 
Sure. It makes me think, I watched a Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmer, and he was over in some Scandinavian country, and they were milking reindeer. Cool. And uh, you talk about small. I mean, they, they're spending, you know, 15 minutes in a shot glass. But it looked like like the heaviest whipped cream you've ever seen in your life. Uh, and it, they apparently it sells for some ungodly amount of money. So there's that which is hard often creates opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So you also have hogs. What what type of hogs are you raising? I've got American guinea hogs. Mm. They're a really small breed of hogs. They're you know I don't know if that's why they're called guinea hogs, but they're not guinea pigs. They're a bit bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've got. A few of them. I'm, I've got a breeding pair, and I'm raising a gilt to be bred. And then I've got, I don't know how many little porkers, but uh, they don't grow very big. The last, the first pig that I butchered, um, he was only like, he wielded 48 pounds of hanging weight, which is super tiny. And I was disappointed by that. They're supposed to be a little bit bigger. Um, so I, I don't think I did that great of a job at feeding him. And uh, I'm blaming it on that, and I'm hoping that the breed is a little bit bigger. But we, we've had them get on our farm in West Virginia up over 200 pounds. Oh uh, yeah, they're yeah, they're a lot of lard at that weight though. Um, you get almost as much lard to render off of them as you do meat. Uh, so there's and and we, they're you know younger animals when we uh, we just took a couple. And they do get bigger. We had one almost kill our head farmer Jesse. She was pretty upset with him, and uh, she ended up being the first one to become meat. Uh, so there's a co cost for that behavior. Uh, but they get fairly, I mean, you know, like a, a big feral hog size, I guess. Um, we don't know how viable they are for commercial production for meat because they don't have the growth rate of some of the other breeds, even, you know, even some uh, heritage like Berkshires or what have you. Uh, but they are a, a great hog, and if you can – Find ways to free range them at the finishing time on acorns or something like that. They're they're really ideal for it because they can be trained almost like a dog to where you can let them out, they go do their thing, and they come back for some uh, corn with some beer on it every night. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is kind of your you're, you're, you're poking your finger into this thing and trying to figure out a career future for yourself. It seems like you actually want to do some sort of sustainable farming, ranching as a career option. Uh, what, what's what's kind of led you to that? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I have grown up next to um, a biodynamic farm, and that just kind of interested me. It was kind of weird. I actually am neighbors with uh, two of the leading people in uh, the company who does biodynamic um, certification. And I thought that was cool. I kind of wanted to get into biodynamic farming after I learned that I decided I wanted to get into farming in general. Um, but I found that biodynamics is complicated and I think some of it's unnecessary. So <laughs> I just decided that I'll go with self-sustainability and I, and of course I'm, I'm really into independence. I'd really like to be, um, able to be on my own. I just kind of value that. And I think that growing your own food and being able to sustain yourself in that way is really the best and only way to do that. Well, I think you're on the right path with looking to animals first because if you if you look at animals, if you can farm grass, you can farm animals. And grass is pretty sustainable stuff. You eat it as an animal and it, it grows back. So I think you're kind of on the right track there. How much land are you doing this on right now? 
Right now, I'm doing it on seven acres, but I have room to expand. That's very cool. That's, that's a great opportunity there. Um, you, you, you kind of allude to the fact that other young people should consider taking this type of a pathway. Why do you feel that way? Uh, I feel like college is not that great of an idea. Um, it seems like that's becoming more and more of a path that you're just going to end up with a lot of debt. Uh, and you know, you might get a nice job and it might be fun, but I don't, I, just personally, I don't see that as very fulfilling. And I think that, um, if you really want to be independent and you really want to do something with your hands and, you know, create something, do something on your own, that getting into an entrepreneurial sort of thing and especially farming, I think is great. If you have land to do it, or if you know somebody that will rent land or even just let you use it, then you should definitely take that opportunity because it's it's really fulfilling. And I've always I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I know some kids that are definitely into it at my school, um, and I've definitely try and encourage them to do it more. But land is always an issue. So if you can do farming, definitely do it. And if not, I would definitely encourage people to find something else to you know at least have a a plan B if school doesn't work out yeah you seem pretty down down on school how many uh, years of indoctrination i mean uh education do you have left in, in the school system before you're free i'm a sophomore so i've got two more two more uh, uh yeah now they're the better two out of the four i'll, I'll at least give you that <laughs> encouragement and you're you're in from your notes i have on you you're going to a charter school yeah. uh, i know a lot about regular schools i know a lot about private schools and i know a ton about homeschooling i wish i knew more about homeschooling today than that I did back when my son was in school. Uh, but I don't really know that much about charter schools other than the concept. Can you kind of tell folks what a charter school is? And instead of being like a politician that's either for it or against it, as a student in it, is it really better? And if so, how? Yeah, so charter schools are um, the, the basis behind it is the school board and the community is running a school and they have they have a charter with the school district, the local school district. Um, and so it's still a public school. It's funded by taxpayers, but it has a lot more freedom in the curriculum and the system at what it does than a regular public school. So, um, and they, they can range from any different kind of, uh, path that they want to take kids. Like there's art charter schools, there's science stuff. Um, my school is, not really uh, focused on one of those. It's just basically a college prep school is what I've understood. We have a lot of uh, AP classes. Uh, you're actually required to take AP classes. Um, and it has a quite a bit of, of a harder curriculum. And it's a small school. Uh, there's 190 kids total. It's K through 12. There's like 40 high schoolers. 14 in my class. Um, so the, our charter school is based on having a, a small community where the teacher can have like a one to, on one, um, with the students as much as they can. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that it's better than any other public school. Uh, the test scores, which I don't think are that great of a, um, uh, measurement are definitely better than other public schools. At least I, they're doing what they say they want to do better. 
Right. So, you know, that would be a way to look at it. Have you always been in a charter school or did, is this something you, you came to like in high school years or? Uh, so my dad actually is the administrator of the school. I'm the principal's son. <laughs> oh, okay. But, <laughs> so he and the community where I'm at, a small community, decided to start this charter school. And, uh, um, yeah, so I've been in there since kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have anything to really compare it to? No. Which, that's interesting. I was going to my next question would be how'd you get in if you had to compete for it or whatever, but I think we've answered that. Um, so you've got a couple more years left there. What are your plans when, when that part of your life's over? Do you, do you plan to stay home and keep working on this for a while and, and build up some revenue or do you plan on stepping out as quick as you can or, or what have you? Um, I, if I can, actually, I'd like to drop out. I've made a deal with my parents that if I can build my own house and I have heat and running water, yeah, then I can leave. <laughs> but I don't have that, and it's going to take some work to get that. I'm, I'm slowly working on that. Um, if I do finish school, I think I'm going to stay here, depending on if I get tired of it or not. Um, but right now, i definitely like to stick with it. And... Uh, I do hope it to be my career path. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of a motivating thing. You can set up your own house. You can leave school. It, it'd be great if you even got 80% of the way there before school ended and, and were that close to it. I mean, it's a, it's a real sense of freedom to have your own dwelling, especially if it's something that's, that's kind of paid for, uh, or pay go as you will. Um, so this is going to be your hopeful career going forward. Um, have you really started to think about like the long term uh, revenue stream, like, or is it just a, a concept right now? Have you started to look at like what some actual pricing is, what the local market is, how large a herd you have to have, how much land you need to be able to make this viable? Yeah, actually, I have looked a little bit into that. Um, I wish I have had done more, and I should do more. Um, but I found that. I know how to, I know if I, I've calculated how many animals I need to run to make $100 a day. Can't remember my calculations. It's something like 75 head of yaks and then about 50 head of pigs, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely need more acreage for that. I have not calculated the acreage, but I have done a little bit of planning for the future and how much I'll be able to make and if I can actually do it. Uh, but it's still in the concept stage. It's all right. You're a hell of a lot further than most people are at 16. You're a hell of a lot further than I was, I'll tell you that. Um, when I went to your site, I expected to see a bunch of yaks, and I found a yak there, but I found something cool. Uh, you're actually running a podcast at that site, and I'm going to probably say the, the yak part wrong, but Anarcho Yakalitism Podcast. Yeah. Tell us about that. So... Um I've been listening to radio a long time and podcasts, uh, probably, I guess, I mean, not a long time for most people, but, you know, two years is a long time for me. But I started uh, getting interested in politics and philosophy when I was about 14, 13, and uh, started getting tired of uh, mainstream stuff. I didn't think it was reported on the stuff I wanted to hear. So somehow I found uh, these libertarian uh, radio shows. I, at the time, the Freedom Fans were a podcast. I found them. I don't remember how. And then I found uh, 
a radio online radio station or network is Liberty Radio Network. And I started listening to them, and that really got me into philosophy and politics, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, you know, I, I like to think about those things, and I like to think about where the world's going. And I, if I could, I would love to do something about it. And uh, I got the opportunity to start a podcast um, when I called into the Freedom Fiends, and uh, I guess I won something in the contest and they said hey i like what you're saying um i'm gonna give you a mic and i was like oh wow okay um i guess i should do something with it i should start a podcast and so michael dean from the freedom fiends uh helped me up out by helping me start anarcho um and it's about politics and philosophy it's been mainly side to the philosophy side because i like to get deep with stuff um, i have done a bit with farming there are a few episodes that are about the yaks and some other stuff i've got i interviewed a guy who does goat farming and a beekeeper and stuff so i like to keep it ranged and um just you know about everything but uh i, I got the name from I knew I had to do something with yaks. Sure. <laughs> and, How uh, could you not? The opportunity. I, I, right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't. I was having trouble think of stuff to to call it. Um, but I noticed uh, a little play on words. Um, I follow a, a school of thought called anarcho capitalism, and uh, I noticed. Oh, I can take out cap and put yak in there, and hey, anarcho capitalism. Yeah. So that's where that came from. But that's very cool. And you know, you were saying you're you're hoping that you could do something about it. Well, I, I just like to tell you, as someone that's been trying to do something about a lot of this stuff now for a long time, you are. Uh, the fact that you're willing to speak up at your age and then back it with doing something. There's a lot of people out there uh, that are. And you can name it on the on the spectrum politically, libertarian, anarchist, all the way over to socialist and what have you, uh, and, and everywhere in between uh, in, in your age group that do a lot of talking, but they don't generally do a lot of doing. Um, and when I say talking, they don't even do no talk on a radio show. They do a lot of talking and, and bitching on Facebook maybe, and that's about it. But to be able to go out and match the words to actions at 16 is something I think would be very encouraging to anybody to pay attention to what you're doing. And if you can make that work, if you can make this viable by the time, let's say you're 20, that you can actually be, a, you know, you might not be rolling in money or nothing, but you might be rolling in some yak fur or something like that. <laughs> but at 20, if you can actually have a place you're living and be making a living doing what you love, that has a hell of a lot bigger of an impact than any protest or picket or election can ever have because what it does is it tells people, well, get off your ass and do it if that's what you want to do because if you got a kid that's 20 years old that's been able to do it and you're sitting here at 40 and you can't do it, well, you're the problem. And I think that that's where we're at in America. There's so many people that say, I want to do this, I wish I could do that. We don't have enough people saying, well, I'm going to. So I'm very encouraged by what you're doing, and I think you should just keep doing more of it if you want to make a difference. Right, and that's what I've found. That's that's kind of my train of thought. Um, I definitely think I should be doing more. Right, I'm not um, I'm not perfect. Right, I I have a good degree of laziness, <laughs> but uh, I do think that 
what I'm doing is better, but of course I do. I'm, I'm, I'm always driven to do more and I think that everybody can do more and I do try to, uh, set an example for people because it, I, I, you know, I don't mean to brag, but I, I do think that I'm doing something unique and pretty great. Uh, so I do try and, um, you know, I do it partly because I want people to do what I'm doing, right? I think it would be great if other people did it. I don't want to be the only one. I don't want to be somebody like, oh, he's so cool. He's at 16 doing stuff. Uh, I wish everybody else did that and it was normal, but, uh, you know, it isn't. But I'd like to be that example someday, or I guess I am, but. Yeah. I think you're doing, I mean, I said, I just think you're doing a great job. What is, what are your goals for your podcast? And how often are you podcasting? Um, I'm trying to do once a week, uh, put it in a show out, um, for the last four months. That has not been what I've been doing. Uh, school gets in the way, farming gets in the way. It's kind of my, it's low on my priorities list, but I am trying to pick that back up. Um, I mean, I just want to build an audience. I'm not in it for the money. I think it's fun. Um, and then I've been doing, uh, a little bit of co-hosting with the Freedom Fiends on radio, live radio. Someday I would like to get on radio. Um, it's not one of my bigger priorities. I'd like to focus on farming, but if I can, and I think I could get on radio, then I'm going to try and do it. Well, let me tell you, I've, I, I don't do radio because, well, I can say what I want here in the FCC. <laughs> At least so far, can't do anything about it. Um, but broadcasting as a whole, I'll give you the honest truth. I've had a lot of real jobs and, and, and what have you. And, and then I've done this now for almost seven years. It's a hell of a lot better than what people call a real job. <laughs> it is a lot better, especially if you can really pour your, your, yourself into it. It's not, you know, being a DJ announcing, you know, whatever, uh, the news, uh, what do you call it, AP is handed down today or, uh, being in a situation where you're announcing, you know, what guy won what sports contest you don't really care about or telling people what the latest top 40 thing is. If you can actually do it from a, a commentator standpoint where you actually set your own agenda, it's great. And if you want to be able to influence people, it's an incredible way to do that because you leverage what you do. So you've got your little yak ranch and your, your pig farm starting to come up and you can influence people locally and that's great. But when you can tell people about it, and right now with your podcast, you can reach every bit as far as I can and every bit as many people as I can. Uh, and you're not confined by how much you know wattage the, uh, the Federal Communications Commission says you can admit in a radio station. Uh, you can talk to people in Sydney, Australia. There's people there probably listening to you right now. So certainly can just continue with the podcasting because it's got an air of freedom that the radio will never have. Yeah, it really does. So you're, so you, you have the anarcho yakitalism. So do you consider yourself a young anarchist? Yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe you can help some people then that have a problem with that word. Don't really understand a lot about what it means. Um, one of the biggest objections I get to that concept is, well, it's never worked before or whatever. Um, and here's how I feel about it. I'd like to hear you expand on this because you're in a totally different generation, different viewpoint than I am. I look at anarchism this way. It's a philosophy, right? So none of us can push a button and make all the government go away right now. And even if we could, we probably wouldn't do it because if it happened in 20 seconds, there would be blood and mayhem and everything. It's a, it's a place to move towards. 
And I no longer consider myself a, a, a organized religious person, but I used to be a Methodist. And in the Methodist faith, there's a concept of you're striving for perfection. With an acceptance, you're not going to get there. But if you strive for anything less, then you'll fail to achieve what you can. I kind of look at our anarchism that way. Like, my goal is a stateless society, and nothing short of that. I'll never probably see it in my lifetime, but only with that goal can you actually deconstruct as much as possible. And in the end, what we're trying to get toward is morality because what the state does is steal. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. People work hard for what they have, and then the force of the state is used to steal from them. So we have to accept that that's wrong, and even if we can't get 100% away from it, the only way to actually get to the most minimal thing that we can achieve in our lifetimes is to seek zero. And I think that's easier for people to swallow than this thing they can't get their head around of like, oh, then there would just be no laws and no, you know, there, there obviously has to be a descent toward this, or I would prefer to see it as an ascent, but it has to be incremental. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's exactly how I feel, actually. Um, a big criticism that I have of the uh, libertarian anarcho-capitalist movement is that there isn't a lot of focus on trying to scale back government. It's more of government is bad, don't do anything, don't vote, It's don't support the state in any kind of way at all. Um, I, I don't like that train of thought. I don't feel like it's giving people a, a path. It's not showing that we... We need to scale back um, government and, you know, bit by bit. I'm with you on incrementalism, and I don't think a lot of uh, anarcho-capitalists are, but, you know, I do think that's a problem. But, uh, I think many of them are, but they don't communicate it. They like it, What I feel like is a lot of anarchists, and this is actually what, see, I've always called myself a libertarian minarchist, right? And now I would say in practical function, that's what I am. That's what I aim for. But as a philosophy, I'm an anarchist. And I always stayed away from the concept for, for exactly that reason. No one ever explained it to me the way I just explained it. And I met a guy at Liberty Forum a few years ago when I spoke up there, and he explained it that way. He's like, well, if it could work, would it be ideal? I'm like, yes. He goes, and you believe that philosophically? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, then you're an anarchist. And I never understood it that way. I never understood it as, as a place to be moving towards And then, but I've always tried to explain to, to, to anarchists when I was calling myself a libertarian, we have to go somewhere first to get there. So, like, if you and I were in a car together, and and I was, we were in Miami, and, and you live in what Oregon? So, say, say we want to go to Salem, Oregon, from Miami, right? There's a lot of towns on the way, and until they invent matter energy transport, we got to go through those towns together. So, if I only want to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. There's no reason we can't ride in that car and I get out of Lincoln and you keep going. But we've got to head in that direction. Yeah, I'm totally on with that. Yeah, I, I believe that that's exactly the path to go. Because um, what anarchy is to me is there there are no rulers. Nobody's in charge. There are going to be rules. You can't you cannot just take away rules from humans. I don't. I mean, as far as I can tell, people are going to be trying to. Um, set up a social norms, right? That, that's just the way humans function, um, at least at the moment. So we are going to have rules. Uh, people aren't going to just be killing people in the streets because if they do, they'll probably get killed, right? Yeah. Um, and that so that that action does not 
survive because it's it's not beneficial to other people, right? We're not going to let that happen. So if we can get to a point where we don't have government, then I don't think it'll be chaos. And anarchy does not mean chaos. It just means no rulers. Nobody's in charge. It also doesn't mean no rules. It just means that the rules exist between voluntary associations. So if you and I want to live by different rules, we just live in different groups and we just let each other be. Uh, I think that's so it's, you know, I come down real hard on HOAs. And the reason I come down hard on HOAs is because I think they're stupid. And because we have like this huge government apparatus already telling what you can and can't do with your property. So in our current state, I look at an HOA and I go, you know what that is? That's a person that just doesn't have enough government in their lives. They've got a federal government, they got a state government, they got a county government, and they got a local government. And they got miles and miles of codes and things to conform to, and they go, you know what, it's not enough. I need more government. So let's make a new one and put blue hairs in charge. And that's how I see an HOA today. If you took away all those other apparatuses of government and HOAs were voluntary, that would actually be an example of a self-organized anarcho-government where those people choose to voluntarily agree to things. And if it was run properly, you'd have to have 100% buy-in to make anything the way things are. And the only person it would affect would be someone that's not part of the group yet coming in. And they would know full well when they entered, these are, these are our rules that we've agreed upon. And I don't think people see anarchism that way at all. They see it as just like you said, like Mel Gibson riding down the road with a, you know, a super vehicle blowing, blowing shit up. And that's just not anarchism. Or I guess maybe it's a form. It's not the only form. I guess maybe be another way to look at it. Yeah, right. Um, so that, yeah, that's exactly, you know, I'm, we completely agree on that. Um, shocking. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, but I think I come out, um, I, I used to be uh, really into the moral side of anarchism, but um, I've gone closer to uh, utilitarianism, and I really like to come at um, my arguments from a utilitarian perspective just because I think it's a little bit more uh, powerful. But I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or the moral argument is bad or anything, but um, anarchism allows for everybody to have what they want in a system, right? It's not a one-size-fits-all government system like we have now. You have to obey the federal government no matter where you are at unless you are outside of these boundaries called borders. <clears throat> but if we had an anarcho system, people would be able to have their little socialist enclaves and stuff. If they can make it work without forcing people to participate. Right. So if That you, would be the thing. That's why I've always said even with libertarianism. You have all the socialism you want as long as you don't make me participate in it. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's – I, you know, I try and uh, – when I get into arguments or debates with people or discussions, um, eventually we get to the point where a, a lot of the time most people uh, get to this point, at least what I've found, is they say, well – I want to have this, and if you don't like it, get out. <laughs> so what I tell them is, okay, fine, you can have that, but let me get out. You know, yeah. let me not participate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and right now, it's very hard to get out of any situation where you are not taxed. Right? It's it's decently hard to um, emigrate from the United States. They have some barriers there, and no matter else, no matter where else you're going to go, you're still going to be. Uh, around some other government 
And in some ways, we're the worst because let's say you're a French citizen. I know that's probably the last place you go. But let's say you're a French citizen, and let's say you decide, you know what, I want to go set up a business in Costa Rica, and you actually reside in Costa Rica, and you go set your business up in Costa Rica. Maybe your business is in India, and you live in Costa Rica. The French government, as tax tax crazy as they are, from you in that situation wants absolutely nothing. Why? You're not there. You're not using your services. You're not a burden to their society. Therefore, they don't need to tax you. The U.S. don't want your money. You you cannot escape as an American citizen, uh, especially if you try to repatriate any money. Then you're done. Then they're really going after it. So it's 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 interesting to me that our country is supposed to be the freest, and we've got into situations like that. Another situation we have is so, for instance, let's say I want a bank in gold. Well, Australia at the Perth Mint has this great bank account. I can put my money in gold if that's what I want to do. I'm not saying I would, but I can. And I just open an account, wire some money in there, and they give me a debit card. And that debit card's wired to my account, which holds gold. And if I want to spend five bucks at Starbucks, basically five bucks worth of gold is transferred to euros or dollars or pesos or whatever. I buy my Starbucks coffee. I go on with my life. My bank account sits there in gold. We don't have that option in the United States. They have it in Australia. Any citizen of any country other than the United States of America can open an account with the Perth Mint in Australia and do that. We are the only people in the whole world that can't do that. And that's an example of what I tell people. And when people say, well, I don't want to do that anyway, it's not that you don't, whether you want to or not. See, you can't. It's that, you know, you can look at all these different nations that are supposed to be more oppressive than ours, and they have a liberty that you do not. Right, and that's... It's really surprising. We're supposed to be the freest country on earth, but uh, in a lot of ways we aren't. And, and, and uh, to be fair, in some ways we are. Like there is more. Right. Freedom. No one's no one's going to come to my house or your house today yet, right? And drag us out the street and beat our asses for what we've said today on the air. And there are places where that would happen, or worse. Yeah. You know? So I, I mean, we have to acknowledge both sides. But yeah, I think we're in that kind of stagnation point now where we've. We've been led to believe something for so long, USA number one, foam finger type stuff, that it almost seems the average person doesn't get it as their liberty is further taken and eroded, and they're still chanting this stuff. It's like we're, like we're still celebrating winning the gold medal in the 1980 Olympics in hockey. You know, like like that's how I feel sometimes. Yeah, um, and you're right. We do have to acknowledge both sides of that. We. I would not want to live anywhere else. Uh, I'm happy here in Oregon, uh, and I don't want to move, but it would be really nice if the government wasn't messing with me all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> it wouldn't. <laughs> so, like, I, I always try to steer things. Like, so it, it seems like every day there's something coming out politically that's politically charged that is somebody being attacked or abused by the system, and... I'll put it on Facebook or I'll talk about it on the air. And what I'll usually try to get people to understand is it's not about Obama or uh, previously Bush. It's not about whoever's in charge in this little town oppressing this little old lady. It is that the power exists at that level in the first place. There was just a story I put up about a guy in Salt Lake City who has a van and it's not a nice van, but it's not like got rats climbing out of it or anything like that. And it's sitting in his driveway. And it broke down, and since it broke down, he didn't renew his tags. They sent him some kind of a notice, which he ignored, and then now they want to find him $14,444 for his van sitting in his driveway 
uh, because it's not licensed, even though it's not being run on the road, it's sitting on private property. And does it shock you that you live in a country where there's people that would actually defend the actions of a city government doing that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I have not heard that. And that's, it was crazy, you know? Yeah, it is. That's, that's really disappointing to hear. And you, know, you, you hear the whole thing, well, it's all big liberal governments that are doing this. Well, this is Salt Lake City. This is like ground zero for the LDS church. This is not exactly, you know, Santa Barbara. Come on, guys. You know, and it's a, so here's the thing. It doesn't matter who is in, in power. It matters what the power is because, well, if we live in a democracy, which I know there's the whole, it's a republic, not a democracy. But we, we, we use a democratic process to elect our officials. That means there's a change of officials fairly fairly significantly, especially at the smaller levels of government, whatever power exists, even if you're okay with, you know, dude A having it, dude B is going to have it tomorrow. And he may do something totally different with it. Right. Yeah. It's not about getting the right person elected. It's about, um, is it possible for somebody to abuse this? And you do not want to have a system where people are going to get abused uh, and be able to abuse that kind of power it's I'm trying to think of how to phrase this um a lot of words come to mind orwellian <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you start looking at like so a lot of the power the government has today existed prior to the technology we have today so people may have been more comfortable saying yeah it's okay for them to do that before you you know uh, and you and i walk around now with a, a gadget in our pocket that has more power than the computers that put men on the moon and government certainly has better ones than us, right? So what they can do with the power of 1950 and the technology of 2015, you know, people think that, okay, 1984 is supposed to look like the horrible British version of the movie and, and be that dark, dank, water dripping everywhere, cold place. And that's that's not how tyrants work. They try to make the prisoners pretty comfortable in their cells so that if another prisoner rebels, they'll they'll turn on that other prisoner and say, shut up, don't ruin this for us. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a a very interesting system of control. Uh, it I think it's I mean it's I don't like it. I don't like that people can do this, but I think it's fascinating how they can uh, get to that point. How we've gotten to this point, it's so, it's insane. So how do you think then? You know, you're 16. You got a lot more life ahead of you than I do at this point. Uh, you know. God forbid an asteroid hits you in the head or something like that. You should be here longer than me. So you got more, more, more ahead of you and you've got more, you came to this realization a lot earlier than I did. So what are the ways you think, you know, other than just the, the setting of the example stuff, how do we reach people with this message from your viewpoint? Cause I know you're 16 and when you're 16, nobody listens to you that's not also 16. You go try to talk to somebody <laughs> my age on the street that votes for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney either way. And it's, it's, it's all out. Don't listen. But with podcasting and things like that, you reach more people. What are some of the ways that you think we can explain the philosophy? Uh, from an incremental viewpoint and from a philosophical viewpoint to make people understand that we can do better than we have. So, uh, of course, setting an example and doing the podcast and, you know, through media, I think it's great to spread the word. Uh, I think that's the best that we're doing right now. Uh, as a, you know, I, a lot of libertarians are on the internet. That's how I found the ideas. That's how most people do find the ideas. Um, I think it's great that 
people are doing that. I think people should keep doing that. Uh, I think I should keep doing that. And then uh, I've been trying to work with the Libertarian Party of Oregon. Uh, I have some issues with how the Libertarian Party does things and what they have done, how ineffective they actually are. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do see um, – maybe I'm too optimistic, but I do see some potential with the, at least the Libertarian Party of Oregon, especially where I'm at. Um, one of the things that really I want to do is as I sell – uh, animals and food, I would like to show people that, hey, the FDA and the USDA are kind of screwing me and through me, you, because you actually have to pay for that out of your own pocket because I'm, you know, I'm getting these uh, regulations put on me, but then you have to pay for it because you're buying my stuff. Ooh, uh, that's interesting. That opens up my box of ideas. What do you think would happen if every producer in this country that's not part of the cabal, when they gave a bill to their customer, uh, gave them a cost plus bill? Here's my profit. I'm making 50% and I'm not going to apologize for it. Here's, here's where all my costs come from. Uh, and, and just so you didn't have to give away proprietary information if you had any company operations is one line. But then it would be compliance with regulation, da, 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 inspection fee from, you know, for a food producer, FDA, uh, added expense by having to use an FDA approved facility and say, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that. I just, I just wanted you to know what you're paying for. Because I yeah, think that's, that's it's so hidden. Like people don't have any idea. Yeah. I think even it's gotten to be with cell phone bills. They're so damn confusing. All that. Taxi crap on there. You just, whatever. I don't care. But when you're, and you expect it when you're buying from Verizon or AT&T. But if, if, if I'm coming to, you know, Nick Hazelton to buy some yak steaks, I don't really think about the fact there's actually a government fee involved. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. I've, I've, I haven't even thought about doing that. Maybe I'll start doing that. Well, you did because you're the one that actually made me think about doing it. Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I had never actually thought about that before. That's actually a, a thing that could almost be templatized, like where, um, you know, a, 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 a single website could just basically say, here's, here's a group of tests. And any producer that uh, didn't see a way to do it with what they do, if they created one, could just like basically upload it. You can almost use a, a, a mass Instagram account or something to do something like that, you know, uh, where just people could share. Here's how to here's how to tell your customers why you're charging them, what you're charging them, what percentage of what you're charging them, um, you know, is going to the government. It, I mean, it'd be interesting if gas pumps gave you, you know, four numbers: uh, federal tax, local tax, county tax, and the gas cost. And, and it was right there and then a total underneath it and you actually saw it. So that's not going to happen. We know that, but you know, it, it, it could happen with, you know, local regional businesses, smaller businesses. Yeah. Actually, I, I think I'm going to start putting that on my bills now. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. The, uh, but that's people don't realize that, like you said, that, uh, the government is involved in pretty much everything. And it does cost money for them to do that. And, um, I mean, taxpayers pay for it through taxes, of course. But then you also pay for it when they start putting re- regulations on businesses. So it's um, – they do a very good job at hiding that too. 
Yeah, right. definitely. Because, well, I, it's in everything. Like, I, I don't think that people understand, you know, most employees don't understand uh, Social Security. No idea. Mm-hmm. Just no idea. Like, so you get your, your paycheck, and let's say it says $50 of Social Security on there. No, it's 100 it's a hundred because as your employer, I have to match it. Yeah. And, and, and the, the employee, the general employee mindset was, well, I don't care. It's my, it's the company's paying for it. No, you're paying it because I have to compete for you as an employee. Let's say I want to hire you, Nick, to work in my business. And, uh, if you're marketable as an employee, well, let's say, uh, you know, I'm what was the old Jefferson's, uh, Jetsons, right? So I'm Mr. Spacely, Spacely Sprockets. And if Cogswell Cogs wants to hire you, well, we have to compete for your labor. I have to pay a certain amount to get you to come work for me versus Cogswell. Well, if that money becomes freed up, if I don't have to spend that $50 to give it to the government on your behalf, well, I can give it to you. So it, it goes out and it becomes fair game in the marketplace for labor costs. Well, you don't even know it's there. I mean, you, you might be pretty switched on. You might have known it. But did you know that? Did you know that employers have to match Social Security? I did know that, yeah. You did know that, but how many people do you think your age know that? I don't think hardly any of them do. <laughs> I don't think most 30-year-olds know that. I've told people that, and their eyes glaze over like they had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's – um, I mean, maybe somebody can make the argument, well, I'm going to get it back, but uh, I'm not going to get it back. Maybe exactly. you will when you retire, but Social Security is not going to be there for me, almost guaranteed. Do you think that that sentiment is shared by people in your age group, or maybe you're, maybe you're just a bit under where kids start to think that way and get jobs and all? Do you think maybe you know another four years older, these kids that are twenty years old working their asses off in their first job, that's the sentiment? Like this is I'm never getting this. I don't think I've heard any of them say anything like that. So really, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think that most kids think about well i'm gonna have to pay taxes and uh, pay social security i just now started thinking about oh i have to start reporting my income because i'm making money now yeah yeah (laughs) and uh, in two years if i'm making enough i'm gonna have to pay taxes or even if i start making enough now yeah right but i did i have had jobs and i have noticed that i do get some taken out because of social security and that's upsetting to me. Well, and that's the whole, you know, the argument. There's a, there's a perfect entry point for anarchism right there and voluntarism. So you tell me, well, you're going to get the money back. Well, if it's my money anyway, and supposedly you're saving it for me, which is what you say you're doing, why can't I just keep it? Right? So, right. yeah, we don't have to get rid of Social Security. Just give us the option. You know, like we said earlier, you can have all the socialism you want. Just don't compel me to participate. And I'll keep mine, and I'll do what I want for my retirement, and you don't bear any responsibility for my retirement. You don't have to worry about me. I can go away and die an old broke man if I want to, uh, or I can die an old rich man if I want to, either way. But you leave me alone and let me out. And the fact that you can't opt out of something that's supposedly investing in your own future is an indicator of just, you know, what I always say is there's nothing the state can do without the threat of violence at the point of a gun. Because there's no way out of it. They will. You you got it. I mean, both of us don't want to do it, but we're gonna do it because we have to. Right, and uh, it's there are some options for you to get your own uh, retirement stuff set up, but you do still have to pay uh, Social Security. Like my parents have uh, a self-directed IRA. Sure. But 
they're still paying Social Security, right? They still have that taken out of their paycheck. Um, I think, at least. maybe. No, they do. I guarantee yeah. you they do. And, and every year they raise the cap. This is something you may not know. It's it, it, like income tax. You, the more you make, the more you pay. And you, you pay it on every dollar you earn. Uh, after a certain point with social security, actually there's what's called a cap. And when you've, you've made a certain amount of income and you go beyond that, you stop paying social security on the money beyond that for the tax year. And when they talk about loopholes in social security, that's the big loophole that once you make a certain amount of money, they stop stealing your money. So every year they raise that cap, right? Mm. So they say that number goes higher. So that's a tax raise that no one talks about or thinks about or hears about. And they do a very good job of keeping that cap, about $20,000 above like a good solid middle class income. So right now it's like 117 or something like that. So there's a lot of people out there busting their butts, working hard in middle class America, making, you know, 70 to $90,000 a year. And so they don't care, right? But what they don't realize is with inflation, if that person's a 30 something, that cap just stays ahead of them. So they never breach it and they get all of their income taxed all of their lives. And they, right. and, you know, they're 50 years old and now it's, you know, 150 and they're making 120 and they don't think it applies to them. Well, it's, it's, it's putting the cart before the horse and then making the horse push it is, is what they've done with that. And that's another example of a hidden tax. So you're paying double what you think you are because your employer's matching it and they raise it every year and you don't know that. That's, that's America. <laughs> What's that super trooper thing? America! <laughs> I have a good friend named Nick, uh, by the way, another Nick, and he said, he said, my wife finally got it one day when something came on the news and she said that. She just goes, America! And he goes, finally! You've got it! <laughs> so, uh, what's, what's next for you? Finish up school and, and, and take this thing to another level? Yeah, that's, that's the plan. Well, cool, man. Um, you got any 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 uh, ideas for maybe beyond uh, yaks and hogs? Are you just going to stick with that for now, or are you going to go into maybe some other uh, income opportunities or things like that to to maybe bolster it up? Because you know it does take quite a few of them to make thirty grand a year. So is there any other way you can you know derive some income, uh, or do you just think I'm going to figure out how to make this work and scale it? Um, I have a few business ideas and I have a lot of ways that I think that I could add to that. Um, I have a lot of land. My family, um, has, uh, some acreage in forest land. So I can get, uh, I mean, that it's a family trust thing. So they'll, they'll log it, but I can also use that. And I found ways that I can, um, I can, you know, carbon wood is one thing, you know, making, you know, pieces of art. And those stuff sells pretty well. If you make it with your hands and stuff, yeah. people like to buy that. And I think that's something that um, I'd like to do, partly because it's fun. Um, it's just a little thing that I'd be able to do while I'm you know, listening to a podcast or something. Uh, and, of course, there are other things, you know, doing little crafts. Um, but, you know, and I'd, I'd also like to, to get into uh, crop production a little bit. Um, I don't see too much money in that so i don't want to do that um focus on that i'd like to you know focus on the animals but sure there are some other things that i definitely like to do to you know add diversity i think that's a really important thing to do is just be diverse in how you're making money because if something goes wrong then you still have this so i i still have to figure out other ways to do that but 
that's something I'm thinking about. Well, I know you, you're not uh, a long-time listener to what we do here because I saw on your site that you were actually referred to us by one of your listeners, which is awesome. Uh, but we talk a lot about permaculture stuff here, and one of the things I'd say to anybody grazing a look into is doing a, a forest agriculture system, a civil pasture system, so getting some trees in the ground that doesn't really take up much of the pasture at all, uh, but works in with paddock shifting and it provides secondary yields plus all surplus goes to the animals. Um, that's a pretty low-cost, easy way to add something. So that's my little free piece of advice for you here at the end today. Okay, yeah, thanks. And uh, with that, I want to say, again, thanks for being here, Nick. And uh, I think it's awesome what you're doing, and please keep doing it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I, I've, I have started listening to your show, and I really enjoy it. So thank cool. you. And, again, you want to tell people how they can find your site and your website? Yeah, um, you can find my website at www. A N dash Y A K dot com. Make sure you put the dash in there, but maybe you don't want to. There's a Russian model site that is <laughs> andyak dot com. She's very beautiful. <laughs> um, and then you can find my podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, and uh, Stitcher. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you being here again. And again, folks, the website is an-yak.com. I will have links in the show notes. You should get over and check out what this young guy's up to. I've told you a lot of times that I think there's people in this millennial generation doing great things. Here's an example of one that's switched on and paying attention to what's going on. Knows he doesn't have all the answers, but reaching for as many as he can find. And that's just an awesome example. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Nick Hazel, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution. 